What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We've got a very special guest, Matt Belinsky. You're uh, an attorney. You, I mean, you do a lot of stuff. You've worked in startups, uh, little politics. Give our, sure. uh, for those of uh, in our audience that haven't met you yet, give us a little brief on who you are. No doubt. Um, so I am an attorney here in Los Angeles, focusing mostly on media and technology and startups, but just general you know, business generally as uh, a company called Pluto TV. That's, you know, somewhat uh, a more prominent company I was involved in that. That was a streaming service sold to Viacom in 2019 for three hundred forty million dollars. Um, so a lot of the stuff I do is along those lines. Um, also pretty active as a commentator, I've, uh, been honored to uh, be a guest on the drinking bros a number mm-hmm. of times, have my own podcast, the prevailing narrative focuses on current events, uh, you know, politics, social issues, cultural stuff. Um, and definitely was focused a lot this year on LA politics because we had a number of really significant elections that just passed. Um, so that drops, uh, nearly every Thursday available, you know, everywhere you get your podcasts and, uh, yeah. That's what I'm up to. Did you mention the name? It's the prevailing narrative is the name of the show. I don't know if you mentioned that yes. or not. But yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's a good show uh, for people that are looking to get caught up on current events and things like that from um, from that perspective. Now, LA has been a shit show for a while. Up until yeah. up until around 2015, it was you know a really fun place to live and work. Yep. And not so much now. Can you run me through what you think has happened there? Sure. Uh, just to give it in a little historical perspective, like most big cities in America, L.A. was a pretty dangerous place in the 70s, 80s and into the early 90s. And then in the early 90s, you know, everybody had kind of had enough and realized that we need to take a different approach towards public safety, law enforcement, homelessness and that along with some uh, uh, advancements uh, in, in the economy. You know, America's big cities like L.A. started to magically get safer and clear up. And you see every graph about violent crime and the murder rate in these big cities and starting in around 1993, 94, they start to plummet. They keep on plummeting for at least another 15, 20 years. Then uh, sometime around the middle of the last decade, 
Um, everybody seems to get tired of what's working. I mean, LA, which in 2013 was was uh, had the lowest crime rate for violent crime with of any city of two million residents or more, um, passes something called Prop 47, which was termed uh, was titled, I believe, the Safe Home the Safe Home and Schools uh, Initiative or something along those lines. But it was nothing of the sort. It was a total total fa- It was a fabricated name, and it was really about. Um, reducing criminal punishment for a number of smaller crimes, releasing a number of inmates from prison. And it was probably, I wouldn't say it's entirely the cause of, of uh, a creep back um, of an uptick in crime and homelessness in LA, but certainly one of the causes and kind of a signal that, that LA was no longer taking these problems seriously. And then instead of prioritizing public safety and clean streets was prioritizing uh, fanciful notions of a more just uh, a criminal justice system, which really just meant punishing criminals less, um, homelessness started to tick back up. Um, a number of other referendums and, and initiatives um, were about, you know, an an inability to regulate public space until LA had bit so apparently built enough houses and, and nice little condos and townhouses to house all homeless people that you know you cannot you cannot prevent people from public camping until you can give them uh, offer them uh, good housing and they continue to not build that housing. So over the past seven years, um, crime, particularly petty crime, and then also uh, uh, violent crime and home, you know, homelessness has just exploded. I mean, where, while it's ticked down in the rest of the country, it's gone up something like 400% Los Angeles and um, nobody seems to be able to solve it. Uh, in 2016, once it, the, the kind of, as it was initially noticed, right, 2014-15, oh wait, all of a sudden we have homeless problems again. 2016, they p- passed something called Measure 3H, which was the LA tax, the taxpayer saying, okay, we will dedicate $1.2 billion to go solve this homelessness problem that, that just has reappeared. That $1.2 billion, billion um, was incinerated. They haven't built, they've built maybe a thousand units. Um, the, the project went nowhere and essentially the the public officials here have shown themselves incapable to solve the problem mm-hmm. and based on our recent elections they don't that nobody seems to want to take corrective action yeah it's like uh our boy schellenberger is pretty good on this issue he's been running around in that in that lane for about 10 to 15 years now um yeah. and it wasn't just la salt lake city tried the same thing the housing first initiative um yeah without any stipulation what Schellenberg and his, and his team has found is is fucking common sense right that 100%. just giving somebody a house isn't going to cut it you give them a house and you make the the housing uh predicated on their behavior in one way or Absolutely. another right it Which, has to be conditional yeah but it's like that's basic human intelligence would tell you that is the proper solution to that so we've yeah. that that's kind of the hallmark of modern western politics is is the obfuscation of reality for this. I mean, we, we've lost in the public sphere, we've lost the is ought fallacy, right? Like it's people, people refuse to accept the world as it is and yep. demand that we all behave as if it is the way it ought to be. And that's just not how life works. Yeah. Yeah. And Schellenberg, Schellenberger is, he has a, a more precise explanation because he, he gets into and he's, mm. he's got experience with these, um, recovery programs and the mechanisms that the Europeans use, um, but just as generally in, ter- in principle, um, it's an understanding that the priority is to regulate public spaces so they're safe and clean for taxpaying, law-abiding mm-hmm. citizens. And then, to the extent that you, the people who have 
dropped out uh, that are unable to support themselves and, and not upholding their responsibility to the extent they should be offered assistance. But if they are not, if they don't take that assistance and that, that assistance needs to be uh, conditioned upon, you know, certain things like uh, entering drug rehab programs mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Um, and that either if they don't uh, take the help that's offered them, then there needs to be some sort of punishment, right? Sure, because yeah. e- either you're prioritizing their well-being or the well-being of the citizens who want to utilize these public spaces. Um, and an attempt should be made to to balance that. But sure. once the attempt is made to balance those interests and those who are are uh, are derelict in their responsibilities, not taking the assistance the assistance the state offers them, uh, they have to go to jail. Mm. Yeah. That is a reality of the situation. And also and that, lose the benefit that they're being provided conditionally on, on their participation in human society, right? I mean, you, it's like it, it, is, it is simply not on everybody else to drag your fucking loser ass through life. And I don't mean yeah. – I like it sounds coarse to say that, but that's the reality of the situation. Like it, the, the fundamentals of society are that the weight of all this is extreme and we all have to lift a little bit. Otherwise, you fuck somebody else. Like it's, it's. I kind of equate it to uh, the Navy SEAL log drill you'll see in Buds, where mm-hmm. there's you know a, there's a several hundred pound log, and dudes are pressing it over their head. And if you're one of the guys that's going to take that turn off, then you just put all that weight onto your buddy's shoulder. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what they're driving home in that exercise. Yeah, and I mean, I think it goes. It's basic social contract, right? Yeah. Every person who exists in it. A society uh, enters into the social contract and one of their obligations under that social contract is you cannot harm others mm. and if you are allowing yourself to fall into conditions and circumstances that uh increase the likelihood you might harm others even if you know maybe deep down that's not your motive for instance uh drunk driving or being a person who uh, descends into drug addiction on the street and psychosis like the person who stabbed a, a mother and their child at a target downtown in Los Angeles the other day um you need to then be you've broken the social contract and you need to be punished for mm-hmm. it and right now in in Los Angeles in San Francisco and all it seems not as much in New York they seem to be a little more attuned to reality um and you know LA, they're not willing to punish the people for breaking that social contract Sure, because apparently yeah. we need to provide them a nice condo before we can enforce it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but it operates from this uh, this obsession leftists have with Foucault that all any any negative action by a human being is some somehow stems from the weight of society on them and not just their individual right. fucking ability to make a decision on whether or not they're going to walk into a Walmart and stab two people, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they like to call it the the trendy term is root causes, mm. and root causes is simply any any potential uh inequality or supposed injustice that and that's on the basis of okay sorry not everybody is brad pitt and is a rich movie star with with financial security who flies around the world and lives in big houses um anything any circumstance for a person that falls short of that can then be identified as a quote-unquote root cause Mm -hmm. which some which somehow justifies their behavior and excuses them and essentially waves society, you know, thinking about this a little bit like a lawyer, but sure, yeah. waves, waves their breach, right? It waves the default. They've defaulted under the social contract, but we are waving our right to enforce the but social But aren't we having a conversation about like when you're apologizing for something and you say, here's the reason I did this. I understand it's not an acceptable excuse, right? That we're, we're having that dialogue right now. Like I understand that 
life being against you in a lot of ways may have affected your behavior. But now you and I are having a conversation about it. You mm -hmm. you are consciously aware of that. And it is upon mm -hmm. you to make a decision to get out of that shit. It's like, what yeah. what the fuck, man? Like you, yeah. you would never, if you were in a relationship, whether it's a friendship, business partnership, or a, a, like with a partner, mm -hmm. um, husband or wife or whatever the fuck, you would never, you, you could never get away with continuously using that as an excuse. You couldn't turn your reason yeah. that's not an excuse into an excuse over time and have that be acceptable. That's not how that works. Absolutely not. So yeah. we see and, we see a lot of these communities, uh, yours included, LA, I mean, <clears throat> who just refuse to get on board with this stuff. You know what I mean? They refuse to get on board. And then there are communities, um, uh, nihilistic communities, um, yeah. uh, uh, inner city gangs, uh, Midwestern fucking middle class white kids that want to shoot up public locations uh, mm -hmm. uh, terrorists. It's all nihilism, right? It just springs forth from the same shit. Well, it all, it always gets back to nihilism, right? Even if a lot of these people, um, a lot of these people who are, uh, they, they want to claim something more akin to traditional socialism and you hear all their terminology and they float it out about community power, workers' rights and whatnot, but it all always descends into nihilism because they won't, it, it equates to not, not enforcing that social contract mm -hmm. because you can just any harm that uh, a criminal brings upon somebody can be justified by their circumstances sure, yeah. right? and you you spin that wheel enough times you could you know that could happen once and someone could claim uh claim you know um mental mental illness or they're not fit to stand trial and okay i'm not gonna get but you spin that wheel enough times mm -hmm. and it descends into nihilism and and one of the things that they do is mischaracterize they want that their argument their narrative is that the people that commit crime are doing so uh as some they think it's lame is they try to paint it as lame is that mm -hmm. it's somebody who if not without stealing that loaf of bread would starve but it's not it's people who are lower on the socioeconomic totem pole and want to want to ascend and want to skip steps. OK, it is these gangs that when they are, hey, I'm not pretending that I grew up in as difficult circumstances as they are. They absolutely grew up in diff more difficult circumstances than I did. However, they have a choice to either go grind it out try to deal with a tough school environment, get good enough grades to get into a college and maybe go get a job that sucks that they might make it start off at $47,000 a year and have to work their way up and be a wage earner, but be a law abiding citizen. Unfortunately, they look on Instagram, see other people who are, uh, you know, uh, have the trappings of more socioeconomic success. And instead of going and grinding it out and living a less, uh, more, uh, a less glamorous lifestyle, figure they can go rob someone's, uh, uh, they can go hold someone up, uh, uh, carjack their Bugatti, sell it, and then take a leapfrog a few steps. Yeah, but and the previous generations of these communities didn't think this way, right? So it's not like, like poor people have, there, there's always been a, uh, a link between poverty and crime. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's always been a link between fatherless homes and crime, but mm -hmm. in the, in the larger communities, we didn't necessarily, so like, here's an example. The left was really active in going after the affluenza bullshit excuse. Like people, mm -hmm. a dude, like guys in high school or college would date rape somebody and be like, Oh, he grew up rich. What? He doesn't know any better. And this is just mm -hmm. the end. This is just the inverse of it. Right. It's a total bullshit excuse that. The, the the black people that served in World War II didn't think this way. Not even close, right? 
Sure. Well, okay. That's the it, interesting to track a timeline wise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. In the forties and fifties, man, America, I mean, people don't realize how safe America used to be mm-hmm. in the forties, you know, up until the early sixties. And then people also forget how, how dangerous it was in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. That's a, a big problem is that there's now I'm the last generation. I'm 41. Once you get maybe two, three years past me, everybody under about 38 does not remember how dangerous L.A. was in the 70s and Mm. 80s. And that's that we had to learn our lesson in that it's not necessarily that there weren't poor people who thought this way. It's that uh, uh, the system, the law, the the justice system and polite society Mm. understood that, okay, that needs to be punished. Sure. So that's kind of where I'm going with the affluenza statement. That's a good that's a good observation. We're not doing people any favors by removing the guardrails that build society. You know what I mean? It's just, that's a really stupid thing to do. And I, I want to turn it back towards politics a little bit because you're right when people grow up in shitty circumstances. I was one of them, by the way. Uh, I grew up in a pretty shitty circumstance. You can grind it out. Uh, but how, what, what is, what are we doing to help them? From a political standpoint, the Democrats have basically just led these people around by the nose. Um, um, promise them this, promise them that, giving them a little taste of welfare here and there, but no real upward mobility and no strategy to get out. I feel like the conservative side, economically at least, has the right kind of thinking and tools to benefit a community like that, especially now that we're in a creator economy. I mean, you don't have to fucking, you can go out and steal a $25,000 purse, but you can create some really interesting co- content or products and make way more fucking money than that from the comfort of your own Absolutely. home. So. I wonder what our, like, this this isn't me capitulating and saying we need to go fucking uh, uh, do away with the rules and stuff. I don't believe that. That's nonsense. But we have solved a lot of public safety problems. And what was left in the wreckage, we didn't really do much to deal with that. It's very similar to me to what happened with U.S. involvement in Afghanistan the first time. We rooted out Soviet influence. Uh, but instead of hep- helping westernize the country, which they were r- on board with, right, mm-hmm. uh, 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 we fucked off and let the Taliban come in and start running the show. And the ultimate uh, uh, result of that was fanaticism rooted in the same kind of nihilism of hard living that you see in other places. And mm-hmm. it led to widespread transnational terrorism. I see as, a, as an analog to what happened in L.A. and other cities. If this mm-hmm. were like a triage situation – the first thing I do is go in and stop the violence, right? I'm talking about like a combat situation. I stop the violence. Then I decide who needs the most help and at what rate. Stop the bleeding uh, and the immediate trauma. Then start exfiling people and then start treating. There's a process for all this stuff. We never did this in our inner cities in a, in a real way. And it's probably because... Culturally speaking, the groups of people we're talking about leaned towards the Democratic side, and they made a conscious decision just to profit off of that, whether mm-hmm. whether it be financially or profit by getting their vote. And conservatives never really seemed to make a concerted effort to go into inner cities and say, hey, you know what? The government is – we hate the government too. They're full of shit. Here's some tools you can use to make your fucking community better, make your own life better. I just never saw that happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the I think that the Pete, a lot of conservatives that do have what uh, a healthier and more effective philosophy towards lifting, lifting yourself up by the bootstraps mm-hmm. have been unwilling to package, have the patience to package it in a way that makes sense 
for a lot of inner city communities. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe we don't have the it, tools to do it, right? I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. Like well, may, yeah, maybe we don't have the Rosetta the Stone to translate one thing to the other. Possibly, but also I think, and that's why the Donald Trump phenomenon was a double-edged sword because his his rapport and his style and this, his symbolism and the, the, that of his followers is such a turnoff and they're so they're so married to it right and that a lot of this hokey you know uh, and what you're saying and i think you were you were even uh, you were about to say listen i'm not i'm not a libertarian right this mm -hmm. libertarianism of you need to re remove all government involvement possibly you know and all rules period yeah just another no so it, yeah if you want if you want to do that move to somalia i don't have that that's that's a ridiculous exactly. fantasy exactly so i mean i think that the the message of uh economic self-reliance can be made to a lot of these people but if you make it in a a condescending way mm -hmm. or if you require if you package it with the you know american flag in your bio and this and that um it's the message is not going to get through and it seems that the that some republicans and conservatives are making a little headway with this amongst hispanic communities um, and it's it, they're packaging it around just listen, you, you're a small business owner. Do you want lower taxes? Do you want safety? I mean, and, you know, Rick Caruso out here, he, Rick did very well with Hispanics, mm -hmm. right? He went into the community and I mean, I think, you know, and he's not a flamethrower. He's not a Donald Trump Jr. obnoxious troll. OK, he was patient. He's a good communicator. And he went and met with small business owners and he's said, hey, I was once a small business owner. Now I'm a big business owner. And here's what we here's what I can offer you. Here's why I'm a better choice. And I think that that that's right there for someone to, to grab. Right. Yeah. I mean, also someone think it, you know, I think DeSantis is, is doing that in um, in Florida. And then you've got, you know, a some of the a, a Carrie Lake and her style and uh, her enjoyment of trolling the libs. Mm. That's not going over. No, it's that's land. it's so stupid. It's like, do you want? I, and I've said this. This is the same argument I made during Occupy Wall Street. I had a a group. Uh, I've always had a very wide ranging political group of friends, you know, mm -hmm. because it's it's I'm interested in politics. And if you're really interested in something and you just do one version of it, then you're not really interested in it. You're just a fucking idiot, sure. in my opinion. But, sure. um, you know, I would I would say like, hey, standing in the middle of the street and blocking traffic isn't getting people on your side. It's just nope. not going to work. Um, mm -hmm. So, what makes you think that, like, it, you're you're prioritizing winning this battle over winning the war? You know what I mean? I'm not trying to I'm not trying to tell you, disabuse you of your right to protest how you want or whatever. But I would I I, I believe in your cause and I think you should win. And here's how you mm -hmm. can win. But it always read. I mean, I looked like I was at January 6. You know what I mean? So it, it kind of reads yep. that way. It's difficult for somebody like me to communicate with certain groups of people, especially I, not black people, by the way, I grew up around, I grew up mm -hmm. in an all black neighborhood. I can talk to black people anytime, but the white liberal, you, the white liberals, this episode is brought to you by black rifle, coffee.com. The black rifle coffee club is the best deal you're ever going to get on coffee and probably the best coffee you're ever going to get. To be honest, join the black rifle coffee club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-operated company that supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roast, whether you like light, dark, medium, 
choose your favorite grind style, whether you want coffee rounds, it'll fit in your Keurig. If you want ground coffee, or if you want whole bean coffee, that you can grind yourself and your delivery schedule, which you can, you know, get once a week, every other week, once a month, they've got a lot of options. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts like 511 and Leupold and a bunch of other uh, great places. Uh, so go ahead and go to blackriflecoffee.com. Use the code CITIZEN. You're going to get 20% off your first order. Next up, ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. You know them and you love them, folks. I just washed my sheets uh, last night and put them back on my ghost bed. I got to tell you. There's nothing like laying on some fresh, clean sheets and a nice little ghost bed. We love it. They've been a loyal sponsor for over five years now. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty. Some even have a 25-year warranty. Um, <clears throat> it's it's that time of year where people are making some big purchases quarter four. Um, if you're looking for you know, a gift for yourself, gift for the home, Maybe to make your spouse a little more comfortable when they sleep at night. Uh, right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% off if you use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. They got the best sheets, the best mattress, the best pillows, everything. That adjustable base is super nice. Uh, you can get a mattress for like 35 bucks a month if you use their zero down 0% financing plan, which now extends out to 60 months, six zero. That's five years. So go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros and get those deals. But you, you speak in a sophisticated manner. I'm not saying that so we can sit here and, you know, uh, uh, flagellate each other. But mm. legitimately, if people, regardless of what you look like, if people hear that you're speaking about it in a way that you're thinking about it, mm. that you're not doing the that you're not doing the, you know, the trying to own the other side version, because yeah. people are so used to hearing uh, the the lib, own the libs or own the conservatives version, right? The meme culture, Trump Jr. like embracing of just trying to piss off the other side. Mm. Once so, once someone hears someone explain a contrary point of view in a manner where they actually see that the other person is thinking, even if they don't agree with it, they're far more receptive to it. Sure, yeah. And I swear a lot too on purpose when I'm talking about it, to be honest, because I think it kind of, uh, it breaks some of the pretension that you see in in washington and you're hearing a lot of this condescension again from from the left it's happened the last two elections so in 2020 yeah. it was that black people can't figure out how to get attorneys or driver's licenses or register to vote and now it's uh, uh hispanics across the country have gotten duped by conservatives like no they're human beings that know exactly what the fuck they're doing they don't want their kids getting taught weird shit in school they don't want their fucking border communities getting overrun by illegal criminals all the mm -hmm. time uh yeah it's just like the it seems like the primate, like the actual institutional racism and condescension, all comes from the left these days, which is pretty interesting to yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's an inverse. I think is you know it, I'm sure you've identified it's an inversion of a prior period in so many different ways. On on that, in terms of condescending to minorities, and also in terms of free speech and an embrace of. Mm -hmm cultural reverence right and that the cult the the rebellious culture used to be uniformly from the left mm -hmm. i mean the the uh, um the 
beleaguered or irreverent comedians were all left wing. Now they're all right wing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the insufferable Karens used to be the conservative movement, and the moral majority. Now it's the woke DIE complex, right? I mean, this is the strangest, bizarro world of all time. I mean, I always like to, I think an apt analogy is the movie Animal House, right? The Animal House, the stuffy, conservative, suffocating uh, uh, community was the, you know, the, the conservative right wing type fraternity, right? Where, you know, at the end, they said that uh, one of the leaders of it ended up, you know, uh, being a Nixon aide. The other yeah, one was like yeah. a fascist military, right? And the fun-loving libertine types were more liberal. That would be a complete inversion now. Sure. The stuff you care in hall monitors are all the liberals. Um, so th that's a complete inversion. And yeah, I mean, I think you're you're seeing you're seeing this weird realignment where definitely the Hispanic community is gravitating towards the Republicans because they feel that because they're telling the, the Democrats are telling them um, those rational observations of reality you're making are actually false. And no, this is all you're you're, you're fantasizing about crime or um, business overregulation or border security. And, and no, you're just you just don't know any better. And that, that's driving them towards the Republicans. Then you've got, yeah, keep going. Yeah, you've got these college educated or grad school educated mm -hmm. white people in the suburbs that are not are ignoring some of those problems too. But now, out of a desire to socially signal that hey, I'm an evolved, sophisticated, smart person, I now have to vote Democrat because the Republicans are a little too icky, working class, uh, unsophisticated knuckle draggers for me. Sure. And what do you think? I mean, it, it, for me, this is uh, you know I'm trying to track. Inversions happen in American politics all the time. I mean, from the Mon the, uh, <laughs> the Monroe Doctrine was primarily a conservative issue. Just like we're going to be hegemons of North America and not really fuck around anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and then the left took us to war. Actually, to be fair, Democratic politicians have declared every they declared every major war of the 20th century, which is a, well, an, an interesting. I don't know about what about Iraq? Uh, that was the 21st, was the 21st but yeah, yeah no. everyone, everyone of the 20th century with that, that's what I was going to get to. Then yeah. George Bush, George W. Bush runs on not nation building and immediately starts nation building. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've seen these inversions in our lifetime. We've seen another one sometime. I guess it was in the 20 early 2010s is when it really started on the political scale. I wonder from like, it makes me wonder what the moralizing of the future is going to be from the left once they're the party of the majority white middle class and college educated people. And then minorities are all trending conservative because that's what's been happening the last two elections. You know what I mean? Like how much yeah. are they going to be able to lean on the racism thing? How long are they going to be able to tell the Hispanic and black communities that they're not smart enough to make their own political decisions before those communities are like, Hey, yeah. fuck you, dude. Yeah. Well, you're seeing it in the Hispanic. It's happening more quickly in the Hispanic community and the, than the African American community. Mm -hmm. Um, but here's the thing is that 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 trend a decade ago would have ended up with a, the slaughterhouse results that people were expecting this election. But it didn't because those those other groups are trending Democratic. Well, you know, a variety. We could sit here and, and identify half a dozen reasons why the Republicans underperformed. It's also the new the new voting um, apparatus. Mm -hmm. The Democrats have really embraced and benefited from the new mail in voting apparatus and it, it, people keep on saying, oh, you mean they cheat? I was like, I don't know. I don't know if they need to cheat. Yeah. I think that they can simply take advantage of the new rules that are technically not cheating good enough that they don't have to cheat. Mm -hmm. um, so that's offset 
the advantage the Republicans are getting from winning, you know, making massive inroads with the Hispanics. So until there's a real smack in the face where the Democrats realize that, oh, shit, we lost the Hispanics and we couldn't afford to lose the Hispanics. I don't think it's going to it's going to really have a lot of impact if the Republicans get their act together over the next two years um, and stop just getting dominated, you know, in the ballot uh, collect in the uh, the apparatus of extended early vote and it being a voting month as opposed to election month as opposed to election day sure. and and mail-in ballots if the republicans you know make some inroads there and maintain the inroads they've made with the hispanics like they could do very well in 2024 will they i don't know um but if they do that then there's going to be that that watershed election where everyone acknowledges oh shit the democrats really have driven away hit the hispanic vote the hispanic vote is significant enough now that that makes it difficult for them to win elections and they've got to wake up that's a problem that they're going to have to address yeah you would think that uh well the conservatives have always been pretty bad at winning elections um they're just not their their ground game is not great i mean when things are really shitty like with Carter, yeah, Reagan can come in and beat up on Carter. That's not a big deal. And when mm-hmm. uh, you know, when the Cold War is coming to an end and Reagan's popularity is pretty high, yeah, uh, HW can come in and win pretty well. But mm-hmm. I don't know, man. They're they're not very. I, to be frank, the two two thousand four election is the most surprising election of my entire life. I can't believe George W. Bush won that. Because here's the thing: I was not, and and I was someone who called. The, I was only you know 22 at the time, but I, I thought the fucking Stevie Wonder can see that this Iraq thing is going to be a disaster. Yeah. I, I was sitting there. Every adult that I knew that somehow cheered on this war, I was like, how? What? How fucking blind are you? Yeah. So I, I was neither surprised by how much of a disaster Iraq was, nor was I surprised by George Bush uh, winning re-election because I saw how many people were blissfully ignorant of how much of a disaster Iraq was going to be. Do you I think like, it oh, was? Wow. Do you think it was blissful ignorance or some confluence of like the military industrial complex and the spent cost fallacy where you can't admit that you're wrong now because people died? You know what I mean? Like that's I'm, a- sure those, I'm sure those factors were at play, too. But I, I just I guess the way that I saw it at the time was and listen, once again, I was 22, mm. so I didn't have some of the, the analytical tools that, that but I was still able to see this one. Um, I just. I couldn't believe that they didn't realize that they were fabricating this, mm-hmm. that they were lying and that the like, didn't you guys know that like they've been talking about Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction for years now? Like, yeah, since it, Dick Cheney was uh, the secretary of defense 20 years prior. Yeah. You not kind of see it as suspicious that yeah. they're now pretending that this condition that was uh, that they acknowledged was uh, uh, present for tw- for the last 10, 15 years, they're now saying is a life and death matter, which will justify the first um, uh, the first act of aggression that I can remember in American history, where we initiate a, mm-hmm. an armed conflict against someone who didn't attack us. Sure. It's like you do that doesn't uh, you don't see through that. And I was like, oh, these people don't see through this. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're going to reelect George Bush. This is crazy. Yeah, I just didn't I couldn't believe and I was on I was actually in the process of joining the military at the time, right? Yeah, I was you must I, have a deep I, w- I was in the delayed entry program when when uh he got reelected. Uh so mm-hmm. I was I was months away from actually starting my my tour in the army and uh I couldn't believe it. And it would be, I mean for those of you who are younger, it would be like if we just decided to invade North Korea today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Without them actually striking us. I mean, what the fuck? That that under no circumstances would that be okay for us to do that? 
But this and was – we, we were on the back end of just having started a war in Afghanistan. Not that we started it, but like starting our conflict in Afghanistan. And we're like, hey, mm-hmm. you know what? Those guys did 9-11 and whatever the fuck. But, uh, you know, this dude tried to kill my dad 20 years ago. So yeah. um, we got to invade him, I guess. Yeah. And then we roll out incredibly shoddy half-assed evidence in front of the world to the UN that no serious adult yeah. could have thought was actually – significant enough to to support our claims and just told everyone you know these other countries we were asking to to uh fight alongside us and join our coalition said i'm sorry i don't believe you and they were completely right and they were completely justified and our reaction to them was fuck you you uh, uh you appeasing you know cheese eating surrender monkeys yeah i mean this was complete madness and i just couldn't believe people were staring at that and not seeing it. It well, was nuts. it always this is like one of the better illustrations for me of how important one individual can be in an administration. Like the the attorney's general who quit instead of dropping the case against Nixon for example. Huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh essentially threw away their careers just to make sure that the wrong guy didn't stay in power. And mm-hmm. Colin Powell walking in front of the UN with that little vial full of nothing. Uh, was one of the more embarrassing points in American history. And it reminds yeah. me of now with the Afghanistan pullout. I mean, it's it was yeah. the same shit. Nobody at the Pentagon had the fucking nuts to stand up and say, hey, you know what we don't do is remove our best strategic air base in the entire region before we get our fucking people out of here. No matter what you felt about leaving Afghanistan, a private in the army knows that that's not how you conduct that operation. Any Any reason you know, you've never served in the military, you know that that's fucking stupid. You know I mean? Anyone with a, a triple figure IQ should be able to figure that one out. So it's like, what would have happened if, because General Milley had a call, a phone call with, uh, uh, with the president of Afghanistan. And he was like, Hey, it looks like you guys are bailing out on Bagram. What's going on? He goes, nah, we'll be there. Don't worry. The next morning, all of our people are gone. That's a disaster, huh? Just yeah. uh, tactically a fucking disaster. Yeah. It was a total piece of shit. But the point of that is just like with the attorneys general under Nixon, if any of these guys in the Joint Chiefs or at the Pentagon had just said, hey, Mr. President, what you're doing is wrong. We're not going to go along with this. And fire me if you have to, but I'm not doing it. Yeah. I don't like – I don't get caught up in this. The machine's too big for one person to make a difference because we've seen it make a difference. We've seen yeah. under Nixon one guy – well, two people actually were like, hey, we're not doing this. So mm-hmm. fuck off. And it worked. The wrong guy was in office. He got removed. And – you don't see that kind of temerity from people in public service anymore. They're not willing to take any kind of personal risk. And I think they moralize it by saying, uh, well, I've got to stay part of the game so I can affect things down the road. Like, no, dude, this is your fucking moment. People's lives are on the line right now. It isn't like your, your contribution is here and now. And if it's not, then fuck off. Well, what do you think? of? And to that point, what do you think about the following that essentially now that social media companies are extra gut, extra governmental organizations, essentially. They're they're arms of the governmental apparatus, right? Elon Musk seems to be that one guy. Yep. Right. That's, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too excited about how the benefits of him owning Twitter might manifest themselves, but I think they're going to manifest themselves. Sure. And it seems like that is the one guy who in the face of this massive Borg said, okay, no, I, I don't give a shit. I'm going to go take over this incredibly powerful channel of communication that that does influence the world in a, in a variety of ways and i'm going to mold it in i'm, I'm going to shape it more in a more healthy manner and 
that's going to put me at risk financially in terms of the government coming after him and certainly in terms of ton of tons of people criticizing me. But he says, I don't really give a shit and I'm going to do it. And he's doing it. And everyone who's betting against him, I think, is the smart money. The smart money is not on him failing. No, he hasn't yet. Um, and I don't no. know. I don't I don't understand why people think he would now. I'm not. Look, we're, we're in a fucking hero worship version or a hero worship period of human existence, I guess. Um, totally. No one. And may, maybe it's always been like this because, you know, for the first couple of thousand years of civilization, most people were kept illiterate. So they weren't able to, you know, partake in any of this stuff. It's changed rapidly over the last hundred years or so. Um, even going back to the printing press. So several hundred years, but especially in the last hundred years. And for a little while, we saw some free thought and it evaporated almost immediately because ultimately it's just easier to think and speak in sound bites than it is to have long form conversations. It's a big problem that we have as a society. Now I don't get too wrapped up in any one individual. Elon's got mm -hmm. some dealings with China that are extremely suspect. Uh, and China is probably the worst country on earth right now, but you know what I mean? DeSantis has his issues as well. I'm sure I don't know them yet, but I'm sure he does because he's a fucking person. Why, sure. why would you expect anybody to be perfect up and down you know, you're not, and especially not only, only authoritarians expect other people to believe everything that they do. That's, that's a stupid way to go through life. But I do, he's, he's more than just the classic disruptor. Like to, a lot of people are trying to compare him to Trump. And I guess in effect, to some degree, that's, that's accurate, but it's a much more, it's not chaos with Elon Musk. Like there's no. a, there's a purpose behind what he's doing. Not, he's not just slapping at the water like a toddler to make fucking bubbles. You know what I mean? He's right. actually doing stuff. Yeah. And listen, as you were saying, you, you got to look at the entire file. Okay. You can't just look at one folder in the file. You look at one folder and a lot of people love doing this because everybody's so suspicious these days that a lot of people might look at Elon's, I got to deal with this all the time when people try to, oh my God, Tesla's not actually such a revolutionary company. Well, okay. You know. Oh, well, the people who buy the cars still seem to fucking like them. Okay? Yeah. And enough people, enough people who uh, enough people wanted to buy the goddamn cars for them to sell a lot of them. So clearly they're doing something right. And they're doing something right that takes more skill than 99.5% of humanity is able to exhibit. Mm. Maybe Elon Musk has some affiliate, you know, is a little too friendly with the Chinese because he needs to fucking sell cars there. Okay, whatever. I'm going to look at the entire file, not just a, a piece of the file, and I don't see any reason to doubt his sincerity about him thinking that the that Twitter became uh, the province of insufferable left-wing authoritarians, and he had the means to go in and clean them out. Right. And yeah, what you're seeing with a lot of the dissatisfaction and and uh, uh, grievances at Twitter, right? Yeah, he went and cleaned house. He fired a bunch of people who had no business being there, weren't adding enough value, and told everybody else, we're now going to hold you to a higher standard. When that happens, things are going to be a little messy for a month or two, mm. maybe even six months. Eventually, it's all going to work out, and like, not even a question. Um, and yeah, while you don't want to hero worship somebody, um, I do think we have to acknowledge, and this is what a lot of that... Did you follow Adam Townsend on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, you follow him. You see how he always says, uh, the fastest roll up of power ever. Mm -hmm. He always he likes to speak cryptically and you it was a little annoying sometimes because you have to try to figure it out. But I don't think he's wrong there in that a lot of ways 
Um, we've, we've seen an incredibly fast roll up of power amongst a variety of institutions, uh, even from before COVID. And one of those was social media. Yep. And unfortunately, it, it the only way all, uh, all these individuals out there whining and complaining or, or criticizing Twitter, nothing was going to change that. The only thing that was going to improve it was someone of Elon's stature and resources coming in and and uh, trying to impact this. So, you know, I don't want to put all my my uh, hopes and dreams on him. But, hey, I, I think this is going to move the ball in, in the right direction on social media. Well, I mean, if the place is flooded and some dude shows up with a fucking water vacuum, you're like, all right, cool. Bingo. It's like my hopes and dreams aren't that the building is still going to be intact, but at least we can get some of this water out of here, right? I mean, Correct. have a measured uh, uh, expectation for all this stuff. But I wonder from your perspective, because you're on Twitter a lot, um, how, how much has your experience changed since he took it over? Because mine hasn't changed all that much except for not getting fucked with on the sensor side. And 11, sure. uh, like any other company, if you remove 11,000 people from it, especially a social media company, you would expect the day-to-day -day operations to change significantly. And the fact that yeah. they, the fact that they haven't tells you everything you need to know about those 11,000 people, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah. My experience hasn't changed much, but you've seen, you see a couple product updates and these fucking, this company did, did, rolled out one product update every six years. And now he's rolled out a half dozen that are pretty significant and I don't love all of them, but okay, it, this is tech, dude. People don't get it. You, you roll out an update, you see if it works or not. It might not work perfectly. You iterate and you improve it. So the giving, uh, allowing everybody to purchase a blue check, Thus far, I haven't loved it. I mean, I have one now, but it's a little tougher to I did. While I think the, there was a negative that it gave a lot of people an inflated sense of importance. It also was good to be able to determine if someone was official. And now that's harder to do. You see all these people with blue checks that, you know, mm. bought the 1738, you know, with 115 followers, which is annoying. But the um, here you have 30 seconds to edit or pull back your, your tweet. That's an interesting update. Mm. Um, whether it's going to be improving or, uh, or hurting the quality of the information that I get through my Twitter feed, it certainly hasn't hurt it. I get a ton of good information, which is like, listen, I, I think I've probably the way I, the only way I've been able to find some success on social media is because I think I follow the right people and thus ain't been able to serve as a switchboard for good information. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I think the, the, likelihood or the fear that self-censorship that comes from being concerned about saying a number a variety of things that are completely fine that you previously could get banned from twitter for doing not having to worry about that is nice yeah. absolutely being yeah, able to say rachel levine is a man i'm sorry that and and to express reality that's a good thing yeah for sure and i wonder uh, like people ask me all the time because we do pretty uh in-depth breakdowns of news stuff because it's difficult if you if you just go straight to one news source or another chances are you're not getting the whole story as a matter of fact you're probably getting snippets from the story just twisted in some kind of weird way to fit some corporate agenda that's typically how it works sure. um so people ask me a lot how do you get your information i'm like well i mean look at everything and look at it with open eyes and, and try to look at it from the perspective of the person writing it so if somebody who's starving to death is explaining a piece of food and they're like, this is the best piece of food I've ever had. And you're, you look at it and you're like, that doesn't look very good to me. Like, all right, cool. It isn't even nefarious what they're doing. They're just explaining shit from there. And this is how critical thinking works. You know what I mean? You have to, you have to make yourself do it because it's easy to just accept things as they are or accept what you're being told to your point, following 
the right people in the same space, whether you agree with them or not, is a pretty effective way to discern what's actually happening in the world. And you can't do that if one side or the other is getting censored. And you also can't do it, by the way, if you are self-censoring that person by not looking into what they're talking about, right? It doesn't really do you any favors. <clears throat> it's one of the things I keep telling people recently about the whole woke thing and all of the stupid DEI uh, intersectional nonsense that comes out of it. Yeah, it's dumb and it's exhausting. But if somebody is complaining that much about stuff, you should pay attention at least insofar as you have to understand that there is an actual problem there, whatever it happens to be. It might be that they're crazy. It might be that they uh, there's certain segments of the population that have a warped sensibility when it comes to communities and, and, and how they're to be treated and shit like that. But BLM is a good example. So if a large group of the community feels disenfranchised and that disenfranchisement is leading to nihilism, which is holding our country back and holding communities back, that's something that we need to fucking figure out. We need to deal with it. We don't have to give them $60 million to go buy real estate. That's stupid, right? But we do need to fucking figure it out. And just saying, oh, fuck the libs. I'm not getting involved in this conversation and walking back to your to your home, you know, throwing your hands up in the air. That's That doesn't help you or them, right? You're just letting, you're letting the enemy build uh, uh, an offensive force on the outside of your fucking fortress at that point. That's true. And this this was – uh, I got about 10 more minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um. This was interesting. Uh, right around the BLM riots in 2020, I interviewed a guy um, who uh, is a sheriff, is an African-American sheriff down in Compton, but mm -hmm. also a church leader down in Compton. Um, he's the, the pastor at a church down there. His brother was in the Crips. You know, anyone who's seen everything that there is from that community, he's seen it. And one of the things he mentioned, and obviously, you know, he's got definitely had his criticisms of BLM being a law enforcement officer, but he said one of the reasons that BLM uh, uh, ascended was that the black community used to be able to look to the church and, and religious institutions for its civil rights leaders. Think about all the black civil rights leaders. The vast majority of them had some religious affiliation. And now that the church and religious uh, people, people from the church were not taking leadership positions and, and the black community in the inner city couldn't look to them for leadership, they created a vacuum hmm. and BLM filled it. And I found that super interesting and not that I knew how to fill that vacuum better than BLM. Although I think that they've, you know, they've, they've shot themselves in the foot and been revealed as frauds from their own behavior. Um, but whatever was going to give them a voice um, in a more healthy manner than, you know, what the, the, the microphone, the BLM could give them um, that, that seemed to be why that they were turning to BLM. And, and I found that super interesting. I think it really goes to, you know, what you say about it. If the, you don't offer them something better, they're going to choose something worse. Sure. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not just the black community or BLM that you see that. in. it's, uh, activism in general has become a, like, we've lost religion as a culture here in America for the most part. Um, yeah. I'm not religious. I don't believe in any of that shit. But you would be a fool not to recognize that the sense of community, the equity that you feel in your community, because you all have a shared belief. It doesn't have to be in God. I have, we can have a shared belief in, hey, we're going to be the best goddamn country we can be. That's a much better way to think about it than we're all pitted against each other. And it's my conservatism versus your progressivism. That's not how it works. Yeah. These conservatism and progressivism are like 
gravity and nuclear fission that mm-hmm. keep a star together, right? That's how it's supposed to work. The gravity presses down on it and the fission pushes out and it, and it mm-hmm. creates a fucking symbiosis. How can we not figure that out? Like this, everything in yeah. nature works that way from the very largest things we understand to the very mo- smallest things we understand and in society, we just can't fucking figure it out. Yeah, we really do not have many unifying forces right now. And that's a problem. And uh, I'm tr- I'm searching for what's on the horizon that might be unifying and, and I'm just not seeing it. Um, yeah. But the church and religion was for for all its faults was a unifying mm-hmm. force and was a grounding force for a lot of people. There are a lot of people who, you know, everybody tries to analyze things only amongst the most capable. There are a lot of people who weren't as capable who, yeah, they might have believed in some, you know, hokey religious stuff and, and done some eye rolling stuff in furtherance of that. But religion and the church or religious institutions were grounding force for them and probably curb some of their worst instincts. Um, and that we don't have that anymore. Yeah. I mean, if you reduce these things, they're really about recognizing that the purpose of human existence is to find and exercise your purpose, whatever it happens to be, uh, and, and create some kind of something, whether it's an organization or a cause or something else that captures that in a way that's positive for society. Right. That's what religion was for a very long time. It's what, uh, uh, you know, the idea of charity, for example, for a very long time. I'm not sure what it is right now either, but it seems like if you get a libertarian and a conservative and a progressive in a room together and ask them questions about the government, chances are you're going to get some really similar answers. Like we mm-hmm. don't we don't like people having control over what we're doing, whether it's my body because of vaccines or my body because of abortion. Those are two similar arguments to me. Like I hear two people arguing about those two things. I'm like, you're saying the same shit. Like the, the elements and the, and the debate are different, but you're saying you're, you're animating the same idea, which is that I don't want other people telling me what to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, we, we could probably have another hour conversation about the abortion issue, but in that case you do have another, you know, and, and where the, at what point it becomes another human life, there is another human life involved there. So I think, sure, that's yeah. A but yeah, I see, you know, it, it, you're trying to judge, we're trying to come up with an informed, um, um, sensible definition of when that goes from it just affecting your life to mm. that affecting your life and uh, the child. So sure. it's like, yeah. hey, where, do we, where do we figure that out? Where do yeah. we draw that line? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, here, here, this might be a better example then. Uh, foreign policy, uh, not a lot of left-leaning people were thrilled about Iraq. Not a lot of right-leaning people are thrilled about Ukraine. And and frankly, earlier in the week after the uh, uh, the Ukrainian fire ordinance hit Poland, that's what really happened, uh, mm-hmm. uh, my back-channel contacts said NATO and White House are pushing hard to deploy infantry an infantry brigade into Ukraine, which would be an act of war. That would be, that would be declaring war in Russia. And luckily, people at the Pentagon behind the scenes shut them down. Mm-hmm. But it just shows, like it does, like the 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 facts of the case don't aren't always what determine what side people are on. That's very mm-hmm. confusing. You know what I mean? It's not like we're anti-war, so we don't want to get involved in this. It's like, oh, our people say it's okay, so we're gonna we're gonna support it. You know what I mean? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
it's it's got some aspects of the Iraq thing with the hysteria, right? Yeah. It's like when the when there's when there's the public wind is sweeping in one direction, it carries a lot of people, and it carried a lot of people who should have known better on Iraq. Um, and this this carries a lot of people on a lot of stuff, and, and particularly on the Ukraine, mm. where uh, everybody wants to be part of the movement um, that seems like it's on the side of the righteous. And then you want to tell them to calm down and say, like, listen, I, I get it. Maybe this is the side of the righteous, but when you play this out to this logical conclusion, um, and it and it results in A, B, C, D, and E action, are, do you really think that's worth it? Do you yeah. think that's going to going to lead us to a smart place? Um, similarly, about hey, Saddam Hussein's a bad guy. Well, yeah, thanks, thanks. That's a brilliant, deep insight. <laughs> However, start, you know, uh, fomenting a war under false pretenses and going and trying to rebuild that country yeah. um, may not be the best idea. The money yeah. it costs us, the lives it costs us, but also the respect on the international stage. Like oh the, yeah, who took us seriously after yeah. that? No, I didn't take. Us yeah, after. certainly not. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. So this whole I support the current thing that conservatives like to make fun of these days. Uh, most of you were guilty of that just a few years ago. Just try and keep that in mind. Sure. Um, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find the show. I know you got to get out of here. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, so mostly on Twitter and Instagram at Matt Belinsky, M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. Uh, podcast is The Prevailing Narrative, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our iHeartRadio, wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, yeah. Sweet. Well, I appreciate you coming on today, man. Uh, great conversation as always. And uh, we'll always. look forward to seeing you soon. No doubt. No doubt. I'll make it out to Austin sometime soon. And, you know, we'll find a time for you to come on mine. Oh, yeah, for sure, buddy. All right. Uh, thanks again for coming. Thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.